Amen. You know, um, just so we can get in our proper place as it relates to revival, because somewhere along the line, the burden of revival was placed on lost people, right? And so we want to invite lost people in, and we want to believe that somehow the Holy Spirit is just going to fall and just like invade their free will, just take them captive. Even if they don't want to belong to God, he's just going to come in and take them. And that's not what revival is about. See, re- the burden of revival is on the church, right? Amen. It is the church that needs to get back in order. In fact, revival simply refers to a spiritual awakening from, from a state of dormancy and complacency in getting back in our ways to God and just moving us out of that place of stagnation and complacency and bringing us back into the right order that Christ intended for us to be in. It encompasses the resurfacing of, listen to these things right here, a love for God, a dedication to God and his holiness, appreciation for it, a passion for his word and a passion for his church, a conviction that brings about an awareness not only of corporate sin, but of also personal sin, a spirit of humility and a desire of repentance and growth that would truly begin to edify the church of God. Revival is initiated by the Holy Spirit in our lives, creating an awareness of a need in our lives, something that's missing in our life. It's like our life is just incomplete. We're there. We know we belong to Jesus, but something is just there. And upon the Holy Spirit's making us aware of it, our response from the heart of responding to the need that he has shown us that we have in our lives. That's what revival about is about. In short, the Holy Spirit can come and he can show up and nothing can happen because it's contingent upon your response in your heart to what God is showing you. He can show you a whole lot about yourself and you can just reject it. You can say, no, that's not me, Lord. That, that's not me. Even though the Holy Spirit is telling you and probably eight out of your 10 friends are telling you, you can still say, no, that's not me. I just don't see it. And the Holy Spirit won't be able to do a thing in your life. But boy, when we walk into an agreement with God, he says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? When we come into agreement about what God says about our life, all of a sudden we become agents of revival. And that's what we want to look at today because we want to make sure that the church is bearing the burden of what revival needs to be. You know, when we first started our relationship with Christ, that initial conversion, that brought us into a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe many of us have already experienced that. But revival represents the restoration of fellowship with God after there has been an apparent breach in the relationship. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. You know, our first verse that we're going to come from is Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 12. It'll be up on the screen for you as well. And he simply says, Those from among you shall build the old waste places, You shall raise up the foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. And I love every single name of Jesus that the Bible associates with Jesus. I love every name, but this is one of my favorites, that Jesus is described as the repairer of the breach. And I'm going to give you the definition of what breach is, both the verb and the noun. Listen to the verb, to make an opening or a gap is the definition of breach. If you look at the noun version, it is a failure to perform some promised act or obligation, all right? When we put both of those together, and when we can look at a breach maybe in our life, it is an opening or a gap in our relationship with God that the enemy has done for the purpose of keeping us from performing what we have vowed to God. He comes in, and he creates it, 
and all of a sudden we find ourselves not doing what God has called us to do. We're taken out of the will of God. And you best believe when that breach in spirit happens, you're not going to grab the yellow pages and find somebody to come back and repair that breach. Amen? Because only God himself is going to repair that breach that's, that's happened spiritually. That's why Jesus is known as the repairer of the breach. If our lives have been invaded and the enemy has come in and broken that relationship with God, that is what revival is all about, restoring that fellowship so we can get back to God's business and doing what God has called us uh, to do. Now, you got to understand the Bible refers to the enemy as the most crafty person under the sun. He is the most crafty individual in the world. There's no one like it. He is able to create breaches in our lives so unexpectedly. We would never agree to it or consent to it, and yet he's able to come in and he's able to create these breaches that will disrupt our fellowship with God. You know, when we read in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, the Bible says this right here. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And what Paul encourages us to do is this right here. Listen, don't give the enemy any room or territory in your life. Don't give place to him because that's exactly what he's after. He is breached for a purpose to get in, to disrupt that relationship with God so that you won't be who God has called you to be. And he specializes in it. People use the devil name pretty lightly, but I'm telling you, when I look at what he's able to do, I'm pretty impressed by it. I'm telling you, I have never seen anyone as cunning. He is so cunning that even though a person has been baptized in the love of God and they have walked with God and had a relationship with God, imagine this right here. He is so cunning that he can still convince that individual that God doesn't love him the way he used to love him. God doesn't love you. I don't know about you, man, but that's one of the most cynical things in the world, that the enemy can come in and convince a believer that God does not love him. That's pretty impressive to me. And so, man, we don't want to take this lightly, that the enemy is a very formidable foe on any day. And so Paul encourages us, listen, don't even give him a chance. Don't give him room in your life. Don't give any territory to the devil, because if he gets in, he's able to wreak havoc in our lives. In 2 in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible tells us, lest Satan, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, that he has so many methods and schemes and devices by which he wants to breach your spirit. All right? And it comes in so many ways and forms. And listen, God just wants us to know that that's what the enemy is after. Now, you will spend a lifetime trying to figure out every single device and method and scheme that the enemy is going to use against you because he has so many of them. He has one for every person in, under the sun, billions of them, that he'll try to create a, a breach in your spirit in order to get in. But the, but the Lord just wants you to know that that's what he's after. That's what he's trying to do, and the Lord wants to repair it. You may not know exactly what the breach is in your life, but it's kind of like when you get sick physically, right? You just realize that something is wrong. Maybe I got a pain in my side. Maybe I woke up and my head is hurting and my stomach is feeling a little queasy. And then when you go to the doctor, he diagnoses, he, he makes the diagnosis as to what you have. But you went because you realized that something was wrong. See, that's the awareness that the Holy Spirit brings about. He'll begin to show you that something is wrong with your life. When you turn and be fully ready to yield to God in it, he'll diagnose what it is. He'll point it out and he'll tell you this is exactly what we need to, get to deal with. There are too many devices to go over them all. But I wanted to share one particular word with you this morning just to show you how easy it is for the devil to breach our spirit. 
Because we may say, no, 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 man, when we guarded by the Spirit of God, you know what, man, the enemy can't get in because that kind of topic, man, it scares us a little bit, right? Are you trying to say, look, if I'm doing these things, am I possessed? You know, am I, what's going on? You know, when the Bible, when we even talk about possession in the Scriptures, listen, it's talking about a matter of ownership, right? When we're saved, we belong to God, and we're His eternally, and nobody will snatch us out of His hands. But can the enemy have influence in a believer's life? See, when you hear possession, we're not talking about possession as ownership, but can he possess a particular area of your life, a stronghold? You know what a stronghold is? Any area of your life that's dominated by demonic persuasion. That's a stronghold in your life. Can an enemy have a stronghold in a believer's life? Certainly. Certainly he can. And this is what God wants to make us aware because it's going to hinder our walk with God if we don't recognize it and get it right. And so this is what God wants us to do. So I want to share this word this morning just so that we can see how easy it is for the devil to begin to get in and wreak havoc in our lives. We're going to read out of Luke. Our text is coming from Luke chapter, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 17, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 4. Luke 17 Verses 1 through 4. And again, the point we're making is how easy it is for the devil to get in. You'll be amazed at how simple he can just stroll into our affairs in life and come in undetectable. We won't even see him. But I hope this message right here, just even if you're not, man, caught up in this message, maybe you won't see yourself in this message, but I just want you to see out of the millions of devices that he has, it's so easy for him to slip them into our lives if we're not careful. That's why God wants to do something that will completely shut him out, to make sure he don't come in your life and build another stronghold in your life again. Amen. We're going to read Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now listen to this right here. In the first part of that text, Jesus talks about the offender. And he just makes it plain that he does not like for people to purposely go around creating offenses and causing people to stumble. But then in the second part of that text, he's going to deal specifically with the person who has been offended. Has anybody ever been offended before by anybody? I'm pretty sure that encompasses all of us in the room, right? That we've dealt with offense before. But listen to what Jesus says. Before he says it, he says, take heed to yourselves. He's saying, listen, think about what I'm about to tell you. All right? It's like that verse is like, stop everything. Don't check, don't check Texas. Don't think about what you're doing after church. He's just saying, stop for a minute and let me share something with you. He says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. You know, as hard as this may be for some of us to accept, that Jesus is actually teaching us here to be confrontational, to confront uh, the offender. Now, confrontation is never fun. None of us likes it. But if the Bible gives us instructions on how to handle, rebuke, how to handle offenses, it would behoove us to listen to it and make sure we do it exactly the way Jesus said to do it. And he says, listen, if your brother sins against you, I want you to rebuke him. See, ignoring confrontation can really create some negative results in the situations. 
it will begin to develop uh, ill will and feelings in a person. It will establish wrong beliefs in another person's life. All kind of havoc can be unleashed if we begin to ignore what Jesus is telling us here. But usually what we do is we allow offenses to go unchecked. Look at the truth of the matter is nobody likes offenses. Man, we just want a life of peace. Man, I don't want to be arguing with people. I don't want to be confrontational. And throughout time, Satan has convinced us that confrontation is a bad thing. He has convinced us that, no, you don't say nothing because you know they're going to fuss. You know they're going to fight. You know they're going to argue. You know how they're going to feel. So you just don't need to say anything at all. Just let it slide. And see, that's why offense, man, and not doing what Jesus says here can be so, so dangerous because we feel like we do the situation a favor if we just let them slide. And I'm just not going to say nothing. Yeah, they did it. And yeah, they said it. And I don't like it. But I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to let that slide. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He said, if your brother sins against you, the definition of a trespass is to violate a rule, to cross a line, or to commit a grievance. So Jesus is saying, listen, in your life, if a person violates a rule that you know you have established, if they cross a line as to how they handle you, or if they commit a grievance against you that you did not like, that you need to be quick to rebuke the offender. He says, and rebuke, when, we, when he says rebuke, I just want to make sure we're understanding this. Rebuke is to speak frankly and directly in a polite way to point out the wrong that a person has perpetrated against you in life. And this, listen, this is a command. God is telling us, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to handle this. Because if you don't, let me tell you what's happening right now in the church world today. Because we made confrontation a bad thing. Because we have forgotten that, no, it's really a good thing, biblically mandated, and we have gotten away from it. Now havoc is being wreaked in the church. See, offense is going to come. Jesus started that out by saying, it's impossible that no offenses come your way. He said, oh, they're coming. He said, so since they're coming, I'm going to tell you how to handle them, okay? Are you ready for this? Every offense that's shot at you, I want you to rebuke it, all right? Don't you understand that rebuke is the repellent to offense? That when offense is shot, if you meet it with rebuke, it kills it. But guess what? If you say, no, I'm just going to let it slide, and I'm not going to do that because I don't like to be confrontational, guess what's going to happen? Every time that offense is shot, it's going to hit you, and it's going to get inside of you, and you have no idea how the enemy has just breached your spirit. All he needs is a little bit of offense to get in. And boy, once that thing begins to get in, it begins to wreak havoc in your life. And we walk around disgruntled and angry when God is just sitting back and saying, listen, I told you how to deal with that. You think I was just giving you some good advice? No, he said, no, I was telling you how to handle how to handle offenses, that you meet it with rebuke and it will kill it and it will never get inside of you. See, but if we handle it any other way, some dangerous things are going to begin to happen. It's going to begin to get inside of us. And usually that's what we do. We don't practice rebuking the offense. We practice just receiving the offense. We don't say nothing. Offense gets in. And now it has us out of the will of God because we're walking around in dishonesty. And we're walking around with a lack of integrity because deep down we know how we feel about that person. And we know how we feel about what they did to me. But boy, I get with them and I'll smile with them and I'll shake their hand. Some of them are pretty close to us. I'll even hug them. And on the surface, that may make us feel better for a season. But deep down, you have no rest, man, because God is not going to let you get away from the way that you really feel. He's not going to let us walk around just simply being a hypocrite when we know how we really feel about what that person has done to us. And it just keeps churning and churning inside of us, and God is just warning us to deal with it. That's why it aggravates us so much. You ever been, somebody did something to you, you just committed not to saying anything, and it just began to aggravate you so much? And it's not that God is trying to move you to a bad place. He's trying to get it out of you. 
He's saying, that, that, listen, you're not designed to carry around that offense. Yo, I didn't create you to carry around that offense. I want you to get this mess out of you. But we keep our mouths shut and we keep walking, and it just, it just begins to wreak havoc on the inside of us. And this dishonesty, not only will it pull us out of the will of God, but it will disrupt the flow of power and grace between believers because you're really not connected. Even though you're smiling, even though you're singing together, even though you're holding hands in prayer, you know you got ought against your brother, man, in your spirit. And God is saying, listen, I don't want you to operate like that. I don't want that offense in your life. In the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 23 and 24. This is why the Lord gives us instructions. Listen to what he says. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know what Jesus is saying? Is, Look, don't let offenses just man, have his place. Remember, he said, don't give any room, make no place for the devil. Don't give him this territory. And God wants us to be so aware of this. He's saying, listen, I don't even want you to come to the table of offering until you go and you take care of what you need to take care of. But we go before God, we out of the will of God, and because we hate offenses and we don't like to be the point of conflict, and I don't just want, I don't want to make him mad or you know she'll go off and this and this, Satan has used enough of his imps to just make us keep quiet about all offenses. We don't even want to deal with it. We so intimidated by a man correcting anybody on anything, we won't say anything. How many of you men have ever been talking in front of a person before and you seen something was wrong with their face? Maybe they had something on the side of their mouth or something hanging off their eye and you just didn't say anything at all. You just talked to them and you looked at them. And you're like, well, whew, all right, I'll see you later. You take care. Hey, I'm going to leave that for somebody else to tell them, right? I don't want to tell them. What I'm saying is we're so intimidated, man, about bringing any type of corrective measure in somebody's life. We won't say anything, but we just let it go and think that it's okay with God. But it's not okay with God. It's not good for that person, nor is it good uh, for us to walk around harboring hidden agendas and personal grievances, and yet we walk around somebody every single day like everything is all right. Like we're good to go. God wants us to, to, deal, to deal with that uh, on the front end. And so if we, would refuse, if we would refuse to confront offenses the way God has given us instructions to do, then you become just as wrong as the person who has offended you. You become just as wrong because they may have offended you, but now they have caused an offense between you and God. Remember, Satan wants to breach in order to keep you from performing what you have avowed to God. And you cannot walk around with a lack of integrity, harboring grievances and malice in your heart and think that you are just in good standards before God. You never meant, meant it now because you really meant to do the situation a favor. But God is helping us to understand, no, you're not doing the situation a favor at all if you let offense come and you don't say anything about it. And offense, if you keep quiet about it, it's so easy to justify it. Because see, number one, if a person offends you, you're looking at them with the problem, right? Well, they're the ones that got the problem, so they got to go to God about what they're doing. And number two, I'm letting them slide. I'm doing them a favor not to say anything about it. God is saying, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. You're not helping them. You're not helping the situation, nor are you helping yourself. Listen, I know confrontation can be tough, but if God gives us instruction to do it, listen, we have to do it. And we may have to endure, man, some backlash and some other things. But believe me, whenever you decide to handle business God's way, he is always going to help you. I guarantee you. There's no way in the world he will instruct you to do something and not give you power in what you're doing in his life. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6, 4 to 6, why call unto me, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say. 
know what he's saying? Why are you praying to me about something? You won't even do what I'm telling you to do. You will not do it. And so it doesn't matter how we feel about it. If God wants us to confront offenses, we have to do it. And we got to get back in our spirit. It is a good thing to be able to do that. I know everybody don't receive it well. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 17 <coughs> and verse 10, it says, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows to a fool. Listen, he's just simply saying, if you're rebuking a wise man, he's going to appreciate it. When people, man, rebuke you, man, in your life that you know love you, man, listen, you should be appreciating it. And if you do it with the spirit that the Bible wants us to, they will appreciate the fact that you said something to them. I guarantee you see somebody with something on their face and you tell them before they walk away from you, they'll appreciate it in the long run. Or even the deeper and the more serious offenses, if you can just point it out to them, if the spirit of God is really in them, they're going to appreciate it. But see, the enemy has made too many of his children make confrontation bad because you try to say something and do the right thing, and all of a sudden you find yourself into a fight. And the enemy, man, only thing he wanted to do was to shut you up to make sure you don't correct anybody else or bring rebuke ever again. But you are the target because he knows if he can shut your mouth as it relates to rebuke, he knows, man, every offense that comes at you will hit you, and it will get in your heart, and it will alter your, your Christian character. I guarantee you. It's going to begin to take its toll on you. And what I'm saying is some of us have let some things in our lives, and, man, we didn't even know where it came from. We just knew, man, that we just weren't the same spiritual people that we once were. Our spiritual savvy was being depleted. Our prayer life was becoming less effective. Our zeal for God was starting to diminish. Our church attendance even began to waver a little bit. All of these things, and we don't even know what's happening to us. We try to say, man, I just feel like I'm spiritually lazy or, or whatever it may be. No, it may be very well that some offense has gotten in you. That's a real bad symptom, and it's just causing all these other things to begin to surface. You got to learn how to deal with offenses. And so because Jesus gives us the mandate to say, listen, I want you to deal with offenses. I want you to rebuke offenses. Then it would behoove us to know how to do it, right? If God wants me to do it, all right, Lord, just tell me how to do it, then I'll do it. So here are some steps as to how you can, how you can deal with confrontation when somebody offends you. Number one, don't ever confront anyone without praying about it. Now listen to this right here. They, there can be some immediate rebuke that just involves instructions. What I mean, say if somebody's setting up for a banquet and they sit something right here and you see that and it's out of place and if you say, no, no, that does not go there, that goes over there. Those are the kind of things when it relates to instructions, you can kind of handle that right away. But sometimes some offenses will come at you and God may just shut your mouth because he knows if you say anything or respond to what just happened to you, it ain't going to be good for you or the other person, right? So he just don't let you say anything. You just kind of look in and Absorb it, and that's for you to go back and pray about it. You sh should never have confrontation without first having prayed about it because you will be amazed at what will happen if you just go and pray about an offense. Listen, I've had some times in my life before when a person has offended me, and I've gone to God, and I'm, I'm going to pray for this person, and I'm going to pray about what has happened. And you know what? While I'm in prayer with God, in the presence of God, you know what he shows me? He shows me what I did. And he showed me that the other person was only responding to what I did. It wasn't them at all. It was me all along. So when I went before God to tell God about an individual and an offense, I left God's presence having had to repent. Because when God man, put the focus on my sin, it wasn't even a big deal no more what they did to me. Because God may resolve that thing. God may show, no, no, it was you all along. They only did that, man, because of you. Or they only responded that way because of what you said. And all of a sudden, that makes the situation a whole lot lighter. 
And then we begin to see the person from a whole different light saying, God, I understand. And we go in the spirit of repentance because God showed us that it was us all along, even though on the outside we had a problem with the person, what they did and what they said. And then God shows you, no, they only responded, man, because of who you are and what, and what you did. That's a real humbling thing, man, to have to go before God uh, in, in that manner. And then uh, right after that, man, we should pray for the offender, for the offender, the person who has done something to you. You'd be amazed at how God would give you a strategy and how to deal with it if you would just pray for that person. Listen, if you begin to see the good in that person, and I don't care who it is, man, all the good, it seems like, man, we just take for granted, though they do it day after day after day. But, boy, you let them mess up one time, and we want to be all over it, right? We want to point out, you got to do better than this. Now, all right, they did 100 things, right? They did one thing wrong, and we're going to harp on that one thing. He's just saying, no. You just pray for the offender, and God will begin to give you a strategy as to how to deal with that offender. He'll cause you to see the offender from different eyes if you begin to thank God for that offender. And so if you're going to deal with confrontation, understand that confrontation without prayer is going to be a big mistake. Pray about it first. If God shuts your mouth about it, go pray about it, and then you come back and you go and deal with it. Number two, don't confront uh, confrontation with a judgmental attitude. And we got to understand that we all have made mistakes before in life. So we got to take the position of understanding that maybe the person didn't do this to me intentionally, all right? Take it from the perspective of well, this person didn't try to hurt me. This is a person who I love in life. Or maybe this is a person I don't really know in life, but I don't know any reason why they would just want to hurt me for no reason at all. Don't assume that the person did it intentionally. What we need to do is just give grace in the situation and just start by maybe telling the person if I have to address them when I begin to go and rebuke them, <coughs> maybe I start by saying, listen, I know you didn't do this intentionally. I know you didn't mean to do this right here, but I got to say this because of my spiritual walk with God. I believe that the devil is trying to do something in this situation right here. What I'm saying is put the spotlight back on the devil, not on the individual. Don't man make them the person because we're so quick to accuse somebody else and make them the bad guy. But when God sees the devil as the bad guy, put the spotlight back on him and say, listen, this is what the devil trying to do. I love it in the garden man, when Adam and Eve had sinned and God called them for judgment. When he was about to levy judgment, he called the serpent, he called Adam, and he called Eve. Guess who he addressed first? The serpent. You know what he told the serpent? Because you have done this. God started with that way. Even though Adam and Eve ate the apple, he looked to the serpent. He said, no, because you have done this, I want to talk to you first. And he pronounced judgment against the serpent first. Always remember, man, that it's the devil in the situation that's doing it, not the person. They are not the enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, we're going to read this one real quick. <coughs> it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, get this, the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, he reminds us that we're not dealing with flesh and blood. And the person that's in front of us is not the enemy. And so if we ever go to rebuke an offense, let's remind them that the devil is just trying to do something here. And I just want to make sure we kick him out of the situation before we even go any further. Because you've got to remember the purpose of confrontation is not to prove anybody wrong. And see, usually that's what we use it for, right? I'm just going to show you how wrong you are. You way out in the left field. Listen, the purpose of confrontation is not to prove anybody wrong, but it's just to show, man, hopefully a, a better way as to how we can relate and a better way how we can communicate to see that this doesn't happen again. That's what we're really after. 
And that's what real confrontation is about when we do it in humility, not to just beat them up and say it's you, 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 and you, but to figure out a better way as to how we can do this. And the third thing is to remember that we have been the offender before in life. Has anybody ever said something that they just really did not mean? Has anybody ever did something, man, the Lord knows you never intended for it to turn out that way? I never meant to do that. Yeah, I might have did it, but I didn't mean for it to turn out this way. Or I might have took it, but I didn't mean for that weight to fall on you. And do you remember how you felt, man, when that happened? How much you wanted grace in your life? How much you wanted forgiveness? How bad you felt, man? But we want to give them the same uh, benefit, that they may feel the same way, that even though they've offended us, maybe, just maybe, that they feel really bad about it, and they just really want to make uh, things right based on what they had done. And we just want to remember that we, too, have been the, uh, the offender before as well. And so all that simply to say, listen, if we go in the presence of God about confrontation, about the person who offended us, I believe God is going to begin to really show us a strategy as to how to deal with that person, to defuse the situation and to kill that offense so that it does not breach your spirit and to begin to pull you outside of the will of God. Because the enemy, this is what he wants. Even if we accomplish the first part of that, even if we say, okay, I get it. I got to learn to rebuke offenses. I got to rebuke offenses. So as soon as they come, you pray about it and you go rebuke the offense. There's a second part to that directive. He says, yeah, if he returns and he repents, you are to forgive him. See, it's a complete thing. Number one, yeah, you got to rebuke the offense. But the minute they say, they say they're sorry, you got to make sure you fulfill the second half and forgive them. And let them go. The definition of forgive, I'm only giving a definition because I like for us to be real clear as to what we're talking about. To forgive is to let go, to set free, to release, to completely liberate, to let it go and never bring it up again. Because oftentimes, many of us may be pretty good at rebuke. We're just not real good at the second part, right? Especially if it happens to us over and over and over again. See, that's why I believe Jesus wanted to make that clear. He said, yeah, and he says, and if he rebuke him, if he uh, sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, you forgive him. Then he says something else. He says, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he returns saying, I'm sorry. He said, yeah, you're to forgive him. You're to forgive him even if it's seven times in a day. Now, I know that can be a tall order for a lot of us because we don't like to be wrong one, two, three, or four times. But seven times in a day, but Jesus wants us to continually walk in the spirit of forgiveness. And if we would do it that way, we would learn how to handle confrontation and we'll know how to not let offense set in us. But I only shared that word to show how easy it is for the enemy to get in and begin to wreak havoc uh, in our lives. I'm going to read a text. I know it's not up on the screen, but I'm going to read this text. And it's out of 2 Corinthians just so we can understand exactly what the Lord is saying. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That man, it's a simple thing to walk in the power of God if we would just do what God called us to do. If we would do it that way, man, I tell you, man, God can work uh, the works of God. And, he, and we can really be liberated from everything that separates us from the love of God. Now, this is important, and I want to share this right here because I know, like, this is our, this is our like, dress rehearsal before revival this evening. <clears throat> and I pray that God uses every last one of us of, as an agent of revival. But if, before we can be used as an agent of revival, we got to allow Christ to repair the breach that's been uh, purposed in our life. We got to ask for Christ, Lord, there may be some things in my life that I'm going to need for you to really come in and seal the deal. Now, you can know if there's a breach in your life because it's any type of reoccurring sin that just keeps happening. 
meaning every time a situation happens, you respond the same way. You got a reputation for it. Oh, don't say that to him, boy, because he'll go off, right? How many people know that that's not a good title to have? That's, that's a spirit we got to deal with, it, right? Every time I find myself around these people right here, these certain group of people, I find myself doing the same thing that they are doing, talking like them, walking like them, doing what they do. Every time something flares up, man, I find myself just getting so angry. I fly off and go and do this, or I got to go get a drink. Whatever it may be, it may represent a breach in your spirit. See, when there's a breach in your spirit, that simply means that Satan has access whenever he wants to. It's just like an open door. He can come and go as he please. That, fit, that spirit, that's why the Bible calls them familiar spirits, because they come and go as they please. And what God wants to do is to close that door for all eternity. Listen, lock the devil out and lock the fullness of his grace inside of you. I only shared that one word just to show you how easy it is for the enemy to slip in. Just ignoring offenses can give the devil a foothold in your life. He don't need everything. People feel like, you know, he don't need uh, 100% of me. All he need is 1%. He just need access. That's all. And once he gets in, he's able to wreak havoc. And so what we're talking about this morning is pouring out that last little bit of self that may be in us. Then maybe there's an apparent breach in my life that I just had not known. And Lord, I want the door closed today. I learned today how easy it is for the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. I didn't know just, just by ignoring offenses that the enemy could stroll into my affairs, into my situation. But he can. And not only can he, he'll convince you that it's right. All of a sudden, man, even though he's the father of all lies, this is how it works. He can sow a seed and it can be an absolute lie. But if it trickles down into your belief system and gets into your heart, even though it's the lie from the devil, it becomes truth for your life. And that's how that stronghold is developed in your life. But what God will do, man, he'll kick that mess out. Not only will he close the door to the enemy, but he'll fix everything that's been damaged on the inside because he is the repairer of the breach. Amen. And so what we're going to begin to do as Brother Terry gets ready to come up and, and they get ready to play, I want you to think about this, all right? Because we, what we're going to do, we're going to have a time of prayer, but we're going to have two times of prayer. There's some of us that know that there are some breaches in our life. <coughs> These are reoccurring things. And it doesn't happen, you know, don't put the longevity of time between it to try to justify it, right? I, I don't do that every day. That don't, I only do that every week. Well, guess what? It's still habitual, right? If it's once a month, it's still habitual. Even if it's every time this situation comes up, it's still habitual. See, it's like the enemy, man, has you like clockwork. He knows how to push your buttons. And every time this happens, you keep doing it. You're the ones that you will say, you know what, next time they do that, I'm not going to say a thing. They do it again, and you're going off again. It's like you can't help it. I got to say something. There may be a breach in spirit that you just need the door closed, and Jesus wants to repair these breaches. And so this is what I'm going to ask you to do, and we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to pray that God will close these breaches. He will repair the breaches in our lives. And number two, we're going to have corporate prayer for revival at the end. You don't understand how impressive it is to God when a whole group of body of believers will pray for one single thing. Even though we're all indi different individuals, we've come together just to pray for one thing, and we're praying for revival. And we're asking God to seal this breach and repair this breach in our life, not to just to benefit my life. That's not the whole thing. I'm not looking for substance or gain. I'm not looking to reclaim anything else. All that stuff happens by itself. I am asking God to repair the breach in my life for this purpose right here, that I may be used as an agent of revival, that God, you may use me. Because remember, he can come. But he don't have to have revival through you. We cannot have, have, we cannot have corporate revival without personal revival first. It must happen in your life. And if you're going to be used as an agent of revival, you got to seal the deal. 
You got to be all of God and none of 